Hello, and welcome back to my Love Letter Time Machine, where we are unfolding the Victorian love story contained in the letters of two ordinary people from Yorkshire, Fred Shepherd and Janie Warburton. I'm Ingrid Birchall Hughes, and I just happen to be their great-great-granddaughter. Each week, we travel 140 years back in time to discover the latest happenings, and today, Fred and his friends all seem to be rather desperate to be married and we look at how, as a group of men, they all seem quite comfortable sharing their feelings. Last week, we left off, where Fred and Janie were starting to consider if they could find opportunities for Janie's brother and others of their social circle up in Middlesbrough. And they are also having a bit of an ongoing mithering about Janie's periods, or rather, lack of them. The next letters continue in this vein, and I'm also struck by the various descriptions of what is considered good and bad etiquette, much of which is mystifying me. I know the broad strokes that we've had passed down to us, or referenced in literature, but there are some subtleties here that are fascinating and a bit elusive. December the 1st, 1881 my darling Janie, wifey, I am very glad your mother did not say anything to you about going with me to the station. I am sure I feel quite grateful to her for her kindness. Express my thanks to your Emma for her kindness in trying to get you over the coals. I thought your pig would have weighed more than 21 stones. I should be quite satisfied if mine weighs 19, as that would be 7 and 6, so that's 7 pounds to our stock, love. I hope your Emma keeps quite well and that her future is getting more assured, for then you would be more comfortable. I am sorry that I attired you so much, love, on Sunday night, but of course I did not anticipate that you would have so much walking to do on Monday. I should have liked to have seen Carrie before leaving, but you must express to her my sympathy for her in her trouble. I am glad you do not feel afraid of anything happening. You must let me know when the month is up. Is it next Sunday? I'm sure that I only want you and then I should be perfectly happy. I am rather surprised at Mrs Bradbury's cheek in sending her love to Carrie. I always took her to be such a decent woman. With respect to the vacant situation I spoke of, Mr Cooper has not said any more about it, and in any case it would perhaps be a month before it is open. That he is your brother, love, would make no difference to me, except in this way, that I should like to have him over here so that Carrie and you could still keep up your friendship. I met Mr Glover on Tuesday night. He said that Annie Workley had sent him word that I was here and he was looking out for me. If he and Annie settle down here too, we will not be short of friends, love, in the strange place. Though that is not so much to us, love, who will be all in all to each other. I have been with him tonight for a walk. It is a beautiful moonlit night, although it has been raining almost all day. How I wish that I had been with you, my darling, down Grange Lane. It is just one of our nights. Something like the night I told you something. You know what, love. I had a letter from Tom Alvey this morning. He says that it is all settled and that he will come as I arranged. He says that he tried to keep it quiet, but that somebody has got to know from a young lady from Hansworth. Did you meet O'Donnell coming home on Monday, dear? As I cannot make out who else from Hansworth could have told anybody. I have not had quite so much work these last two days, so feel quite jolly except that you are not here. Marston has brought his chessmen from home so that we have our nights fully occupied. I had another pressing letter from the secretary of Attercliffe FC to pay there on the 10th. 
It will be splendid if I do come, for then I shall see you again. But of course, I shall not imperil my prospects in any way to get off. If it had been next Saturday, I could have managed it because Mr Cooper is going to Manchester on Friday and will not be back until Monday, so that I should be able to get off early on Saturday. However, it is not so to be. I think I shall play with red car on the Saturday just to keep my hand in, or rather my feet in. I was measured for a pair of trousers today, as I thought I would keep the black ones for any emergency. The tailor is a Jew who says they will there like fire. I hope they will. I have written to John Mies today, giving him all the particulars of this place. Got a letter from Fred yesterday. He says the school which he is to take after Christmas will be worth about £115 a year. So that we all three appear to be doing pretty well just now. I hope this mutual success will long continue. I think I had better go to bed now, as it is twelve o'clock. You know what my wishes are, wifey, don't you? Remember me to one and all at home, male and female. I went to the theatre last night. It is only sixpence. And one of the characters expressed my feelings when he said that he loved his wife more loverer than everer, which you know, my darling, is quite true as regards my love, for I shall always be your loving and faithful husband, Fred. P.S. Write for Sunday, love, if you can find time, so that I may have something pleasant to think of on that day. I do not mind what colour the envelope is, so that it just contains a letter. Janie's reply seems a little indignant about the accusations about Tom Alvey, and she also continues about various etiquette things. Hansworth, December the 3rd, 1881. My darling Fred, I did not meet O'Donnell last Monday, and I don't remember telling anyone that you came about to Alvey. I don't know how they have got to know from Hansworth. Carrie came to our house on Thursday. She is in very much better spirits now that when I saw her on Monday, she had some very nice letter from her uncles and aunts. She seemed more settled now, poor girl. I do wish our John could have married her. Then she would have had a home. It would be very nice to have them near us, would it not, love? I wish I could see you play with Red Car, my darling. I should like to see you play, but mind and don't get hurt. You know you have me to think of now. Where is the school Fred is going to take? You three seem to be doing well now, love, don't you? I suppose Fred has not found his mistress right yet. He'll be finding her this Christmas and taking her back with him, I should think. Carrie was invited to Miss Rose to tea yesterday. The invitation was not extended to me. I felt rather hurt, but I believe it was done unintentionally, but I did not think so at the time. I went down in the evening and they were all very gracious, so I forgave her this time. Polly, I mean. I thought if Carrie had been staying at their house, I should have asked both. We stayed there until 11 o'clock. I saw Annie Wortley yesterday. She looks much better. Carrie and I have promised to go down there to tea tomorrow. I wish you were going with me, love. I always dread Sunday coming without you. It is the meeting night of the club tonight, so expect we shall be busy. Just come and take me for a walk instead, love. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if only you could. I must be patient until after Christmas, and then I shall feel inclined to see you and never let you go again. I do miss you so. I have not time for more tonight, love. I shall always be your faithful and loving wife, Janie. Royal Exchange, Middlesbrough, the North Eastern Steel Company Limited. December the 5th, 1881. My darling Janie, 
I received your welcome letter yesterday morning, which contributed much towards getting over yesterday. I would have done more had it been longer. I hope you are not vexed with me mentioning the O'Donnell Alvey business. I had no idea of blaming you, my darling, but only wanted to know. I feel pleased that Carrie is recovering her spirits, and I hope she will be able to make the best of this great difficulty. I did not play with Red Car last Saturday after all. The match was put off, so that I did not get hurt, love. In the afternoon, Marston and I went to the park to look around. I think that in summer it will be very nice, but it did look very dreary, being as everything else is at Middlesbrough, very flat, and the rain of two days, standing in beautiful pools all over the ground. There were three football matches, but not one fit to see. In the evening, Marston and myself went to Davies's, one of our draftsmen, to play at whist. He has a nice little home, and his wife seems very pleasant. It was very nice, but made me wish very much, my dear. Fred's school is the National School of St James, Waltham, Pulborough, Sussex. It is 12 miles from Horsham and 20 miles from Brighton. He says he has not yet found her, but expects to do so down there. You acted quite right, love, in not taking notice of Miss Rowe's non-invitation, whether it was intentionally done or not. If it was intentional, it is not worthwhile taking notice of, and if not intentional, it shows her lack of good manners or politeness, which, after all, really springs from the good wishes of the heart. I hope you spent an enjoyable evening at Wortley's last night and got home in good time. I hope you keep up your church-going love, but of course you know my wishes on that subject. Yesterday afternoon, I went down to the docks. They are pretty extensive, and there was one new steamer, Screw, that had never been out. It was a beautiful vessel, quite a treat to see. It only wants three weeks, love, to Christmas, and then a few days' bliss. I wish it was here now. I'm getting desperate, but not dangerous. I wonder how much it would cost to do the business properly. Davis's house looks very comfortable, and is not expensively furnished at all. I intended giving you a long letter today, but we are rather busy, so that I am afraid I shall not be able to add much more. If I do, we'll P.S. it. I remain, my darling wife, your own Fred. P.S. If there is anything in my letters to you that you think would be interesting to my mother, do not fail to tell her, because I do not say much in any letters. Reserve everything for you. Have you been to see her this last week? You might take Carrie. Mother would be glad to see you, and anybody that you take. It would perhaps cheer her up a little. I mean, Mother. I wrote on Saturday to the secretary of the football club to tell them that I did not think I could get off next Saturday. I wish I could see you, love. Excuse me reminding you that you didn't fully answer my last letter. You may depend upon it that I never ask a question, but that I want an answer. You know that, love, from previous experience. And I am so fixed here that I can't hold you until you give me an answer, unfortunately. I wish I could see you, love, if only for one minute. I'm sure it would do me good. After all, absence does make the heart grow fonder. I am afraid my writing is not so clear and regular as it used to be, but if there is anything you cannot make out, you may come and inquire for me at our office, and I will gladly explain everything. That reminds me, Davis says that if I wish you to come over any time, he and his wife will be pleased to accommodate you at their house. Good, isn't it? I haven't any time for any more. And anxiously await an answer. Your love, till death. Fred. So, in a moment, we come to a letter from who I think must be Fred's closest friend, John Mies. The reason that I think they must have been very close is that John seems to hint 
that he and Fred have at some point agreed to officiate at each other's weddings, whenever they happen to be. I'm not sure exactly what this means, but John acted as witness to Fred and Jane's wedding the following year. It's his signature on the wedding certificate. I wonder if they had agreed to be each other's best man. John's letter is full of feeling, especially on the topic of matrimony, and I notice that Fred seems to have chosen sensitive, emotionally expressive men as some of his closest friends. Our Fred, as well as being obviously interested in sports and traditional manly activities, is a sensitive soul and is quite prepared to confide his worries with other friends. Fred Johnson, for all his abruptness, on several occasions offers support and reassurance, even sharing poetry by way of wanting to comfort Fred. Johnson has several times expressed heartbreak over his breakup with the elusive Jessie and wants nothing more than to find his future bride. Of course, being married was an important social step, something of a rite of passage even, to be seen as adult and respectable, but I'm rather taken with all these young men talking about their longing to be married in primarily romantic and emotional terms, and their openness with their feelings to one another. During the 20th century, friendship between men went through a, in my opinion, regressive transformation, the causes of which may be found in the advent of homosexual panic, which is a fairly recent phenomenon, spread in part by preaching of religious figures and politicians. The trauma of the First World War and the Great Depression created a brutal atmosphere which pitched men against each other as competition and would also have had a deleterious effect. Male friendship in the 19th century was significantly more demonstrative, both in verbal and physical displays of affection. Victorian photographs of men holding hands or hugging or draping arms over one another are not unusual and there are countless letters that record expressive, emotive and affectionate language. I'm so touched to see these deeper friendships reflected in Fred and his friends here. I feel like something precious has been lost and we are the poorer for it. Anyway, here's John's letter. 15 High Street, Woomwell, 7th of December 81. Dear Fred, your letter to hand on Saturday. I wonder several times if you had forgotten me, but I can quite understand your leisure time being so fully occupied, as you almost certainly have a quantity of business letters to write. Well, my advice is by all means attend to the TED firm, which is a common expression here, respect the lady love. I was very pleased to hear Mr Cooper had come out so handsomely, and I sincerely hope it may turn out, as I said, the turning point for the better in your life. I had John Panton over last Sunday, and we wished many a time you could have been with us, especially at dinner time. There is one thing, and I hope you may be able to come and spend a day, or even a few hours with us during your Christmas holidays. We are going to have a grand year entertainment in connection with the reading room, on the 28th, which will be the Wednesday after Christmas Day, and I shall be pleased if you will be able to come. The first part of the entertainment will consist of a dramatic performance in which Miss Lucy Craven, Mr Gent, Harry and my humble self are to be the performers. The second part of it will be a concert, and shall be glad to hear you make your debut before a Wormwell audience. Your remarks respecting a certain event in communication with myself are quite premature. In fact, if you are thinking of officiating, as you are doing at my event, before you take the step yourself, I'm afraid yours will not come off as soon as you anticipate. 
Certainly, I should be only too glad if mine were going to take place soon, but fate and the pocket are against it. I shall only be too pleased to hear that you are really going to embark on the idea of matrimony, and may you have a calm voyage, may the bark sail pleasantly, without springing a leak or running aground. I had a letter from Charlesworth a few days ago, and he describes it as a sort of oasis on the desert of life, green days of loving quiet coming after stormy ones. My sincere prayer is, may him which bears us on love's flowing stream bring us both in due course to the happiest time of our life as soon as possible. You will no doubt be surprised to hear that I'm about to join our church choir. I've had an invitation to join them, and I think that will be for my own benefit to do so, not worldly, but spiritually. I really feel that since I came here, I have been gradually thinking in the broad stream, and that it is time I began to retrace my steps and endeavour to live in a more religious manner. I have never felt I was in a worse state of mind than I do at present. I must now conclude, hoping you are quite well. I remain your sincere friend, John Mies. P.S. When you write home, remember me to your mother, Arthur, and Miss W. Oh, what a lovely man. Is it okay that I'm a lot more fond of John than I am of Fred Johnson? John was a pawnbroker and a tailor and of Jewish descent, although obviously with strong Christian beliefs. He was betrothed to a lady called Mary Liversidge, and although he and Fred didn't know it yet, John's prayer for them both for the happiest time of our life would be answered within the next 12 months. Fred repeats some of John's letter in his next to Janie and the discussions about etiquette continue. It also looks like one of Janie's letters may have gone missing as he makes reference to things that we've not heard yet. Fred also makes a rather oblique reference to missing Janie physically so much that it has aggravated his sprained wrist. 21 Church Street, Middlesbrough, December the 8th, 1881. My darling Janie. I received your welcome letter this morning, and as usual with your letters, it did me the world of good. It was just the kind of letter that I like, nice and long, with plenty of information about yourself, which is doubly interesting to me here. I thought the month was to be up next Sunday instead of the Sunday after, but I suppose I am mistaken. I am glad that you enjoyed last Sunday, love, even though I was not there. Cannot say the same. It seems that Miss Rose still keeps up her reputation for amiability. I don't think she will trouble us much, dear. Miss Spottershed seems to have struck you all of a heap. My information respecting Annie Johnson was correct then, seeing as you call them Mr and Mrs Roxbury, but I am afraid that we shall not go to the children's tea at Christmas unless I suddenly change my mind, notwithstanding the dancing after. I hope this hat of yours suits you. If not, there'll be a row. You say we went to Annie's to tea. To who do you refer? I'm afraid I am rather dense. I think you did right in going home if you were wet, although I have no doubt Mother would have been glad to see you. How did she seem on Wednesday night? Tell me everything, because I don't get much news from home, in fact from anybody. I'm glad Joel was Jolie when at your house. Marriage seems to have cheered him up. I almost think it would cheer me up, and that is saying a great deal. 
You must forgive my melancholy midnight moans, my modulated monotones, as I don't feel very well at just at present. I have a very pleasant friend in a truth whose aching presence is always felt. My wrist also, which you may remember I sprained, also makes me feel very acutely that fact. However, such is life, or rather single life. I have not made any inquiries yet as to the Christmas holidays or New Year's holidays. I don't think that the holiday, if we have any, will be at the New Year because we expect tenders for machinery to be in on the second, and I suppose I shall have to be there to reply to them. But which do you think would be best, or more likely to be enjoyed, Christmas or the New Year? I am utterly indifferent just now. should like both. I'm counting the days and hours to Christmas love, although I don't know how I should leave you again. I received a letter from John Mies, who says that they are going to have a grand tea and entertainment on the 28th, dramatic performance in which Miss Lucy Craven, Mr Ghent, John and Harry Mies are to perform. He strongly urges me to spend the day with him at Christmas or only a few hours if not a day. He seems to be in rather low water just now, judging from the tone of his letter. Should like to see the old man again. He wants me to sing at the concert after the entertainment. He writes that he hopes that when we embark on the sea of matrimony, we may have a calm voyage and may the bark sail pleasantly without springing a leak or running aground. He says that he does not expect anything of the sort in his case for some time on account of his finances. His letter indicates a great change in the tone of his mind. I suppose we all change, more or less. You will no doubt find that I am much quieter when I come over. One misses the liveliness of old friends and naturally get more sedate, especially if they have to work till eight o'clock at night. I wish it were next week, for then I should have some assistance. However, we must make the best of little difficulties. You don't say anything as to the state of your health. I hope it keeps good, as also that of your father and mother. Has sister Polly got over her confinement yet? If so, how is she? I have not written to your William yet. I seem to have had no time for anything. It is now twenty minutes to twelve. As I am writing this, I think I better shut up, or I shall be in the lemon collie mode presently. Be sure and write back for Sunday, my darling. A nice long letter with lots of love and kisses and news and everything in it. Believe me to remain. Yours only, Fred. P.S. If I have time, I will write more tomorrow. If not, this will be all. Adieu, mine sweetheart. Lover, darling. Dear little wife. Good night. This is a good night kiss. Love from me to you. And here, Fred, has drawn a little diagram of some lips. My Melancholy Midnight Moans, My Modulated Monotones is a reference to a song from a collection of comedy songs, songs of singularity or lays for the eccentric by the London Hermit, and it was doing the rounds on both sides of the Atlantic from about 1870 to the turn of the century. It was called My Madeline, a serenade in M flat to be sung by Marmaduke Muttonhead to Mademoiselle Madeline Mendoza, and it was written entirely with words beginning with the letter M. I'm assuming from this that it must be one of the songs in Fred's repertoire when he was called upon by his friends to do his turn for the evening, or in John Mie's case, perhaps one Fred might choose to sing at the upcoming Christmas entertainment. We'll leave it there for now. Thank you for listening to my Love Letter Time Machine. Next time, we hear all about how Fred is dealing with his homesickness and continuing lemon collie. 
In the meantime, perhaps you could show the podcast some love by clicking on the ratings, leaving a review, or sharing it with someone you think might enjoy it. And if you'd like to write to me, you can at my loveletter at gmail.com. Until next time, take care.